apart from what we just did, when was the last time that you sang? Apart from just that song we've just sang together, when was the last time that you sang? Maybe you sing all the time. In the car, in the shower, with the kids. Maybe it was two weeks ago when we last gathered as a whole church. Maybe it was the last time you sang Happy Birthday. Or maybe you rarely sing. Even here at Connect, maybe you'd rather not have to sing. And what do I mean when I say sing? I mean really sing, like Mr. Bean was trying to do there. Not humming or whistling or going through the words in your head. Maybe you don't sing. Maybe you feel you can't sing. Or maybe you never stop singing. Singing can be awkward, it can be powerful, it can be cringeworthy, it can be painful, it can be rousing, it can be entertaining, it can be comforting, it can even be funny. And everyone does it. Sports fans, my beloved Liverpool, with the greatest football song ever. And I stood on the, uh, on the cot behind two brothers from Norway who'd made the pilgrimage to Anfield. And as we rose to sing that song with our, with our scarves aloft, these two brothers hugged and wept as they sang those words. And then, just to keep you rugby fans happy, Ireland's call. Watching those Ireland players shoulder to shoulder singing that song is powerful, isn't it? And then there's concerts like Glastonbury, festivals where you see thousands of people singing along to these people on stage. Many of them on each other's shoulders, tops off, doing whatever they do at these festivals. But these are people who probably in school, if you'd said sing amongst your mates, they'd have said no way. And here they are in front of thousands, giving it everything they've got. And right around the world, people sing. African villages, every day they sing in harmony. It's a regular occurrence. Aboriginal Australians have a thing called songlines, which are geographical routes that mark their territory, that connect the people with their land. And they believe that all their land is sacred. And the songs must continually be sung to keep the land alive. Singing is powerful. And I don't think any of us would disagree about the power of music and song. It's massively connected to memory as well, isn't it? If I was to sing to you the, the tune Magic Moments, you would know which chocolates I was referring to. Or the Shaken Vac song would bring back memories for some of you. And if I was just to do this, you'd all know what I was referring to. And who hasn't got a song or a piece of music that brings back memories of a specific time or place? This week, I went to see my dad for his birthday. Dad's in a home with Louis Body's dementia. And for the hour that we had with him in his room, we played some songs on our, on our phones for him to sing along to. And it was amazing to see the recall. He forgot my kids' names. But he could sing along to Frank Sinatra and Neil Diamond. Singing has so much power. You only have to think about the Negro spiritual songs from history that originated in the slaves in West Africa. And singing was used to get them through their work. And not just was it a positive distraction, it was actually really helpful in terms of health and safety because as they lifted their pickaxes to hit the stones on the ground, they did so in a rhythm to the song that kept them from hitting each other. Music is powerful. And then there are the health benefits. God knew what he was doing when he gave us the gift of song. 
Scientists believe that singing releases endorphins, and that in turn can stimulate the release of the hormone oxytocin, which helps alleviate anxiety and stress. It's even good for the immune system. So the University of Frankfurt did a study. They took a load of professional choir members, and they um, tested their blood before and after their hour-long rehearsal. And those that had been singing through the rehearsal had a higher level of an antibody called immunoglobin than those who simply listened to the music. Singing helped increase their immune system. And amazingly, and I'm going to look around to see who nods here, singing can even help alleviate snoring. Does that resonate with anybody? Is that helpful information for anybody today? A study in 2008 found that the singer's Uh, that singers score lower on the snoring scale. Who knew there was such a thing? But that's enough science. Singing is good for you. But it also appears right through Scripture. The very first musician is captured as early as Genesis 4. Jubal is described as the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Moses sang after the Exodus. Deborah did it after the victory over Sisera. You've got Psalms, the oldest, the most famous hymn book of all time. Jesus sang himself with the disciples after the Last Supper. Paul and Silas sang in jail. And then finally in Revelation, we have this picture of constant, eternal worship. So this week, I've asked myself many times, why am I doing this? On the one hand, I feel like it's the easiest and it's the most difficult subject for me to talk about. The easiest because it's something that's captured and fascinated me my whole life growing up in church. But it's also the most difficult because we all have opinions. There's so much been written and there's so much been said. So I've taken the approach to, to, to this week to look at the parts of my life where singing has made a difference. I asked you at the beginning, when was the last time you sang? But I also wonder, what are your earliest memories of singing? Maybe it's at your parents at home singing to you or in school assemblies being forced to sing some of those old classics. For me, a precious time came um, in the car traveling with my parents. When I was four, we left uh, th- th- my hometown, which you might not know it from my accent, is Birmingham. Uh, I was age four. We moved north. My dad was training to be a minister. And, uh, and we went to just north of Manchester. But every uh, weekend, kind of Friday and Saturday, we would drive back down to see family and friends So over an hour in the car each way, and we always had on music. Now, whereas some kids would have very cool parents that would teach them and indoctrinate them things like the Beatles, the Who, or the Rolling Stones, for me, it was Graham Kendrick (laughs) and Amy Grant and Noel Richards and Don Francisco. But these songs were formative songs, songs with meaning that expressed words and emotions that reinforced the early part of my identity in Christ. I was in church and Sunday school every week. I was dragged to Christian events like Spring Harvest with amazing kids' work. But as I look back, I honestly can't remember specific times when my parents sat me down and said, this is why we believe what we believe. There was no quizzes, no tests, no reviewing the sermon from the previous week. But all that singing in the car, there was something in that. See, the power of singing... And why it's so important in churches is it enables us to express thoughts and feelings in a way no other activity does. Even as a child, I connected with these songs and personalized what I was hearing elsewhere. 
I'll always be moved by the Don Francisco song, He's Alive, that tells in story form in the first person the experience of Peter losing Jesus and then, and then and the resurrection and the banging on the doors and, and then Jesus eventually entering the room and how it changed Peter's life. And he finishes shouting, he's alive, he's alive. And it still moved me this week as I watched it on YouTube. Music is incredibly formative for our hearts and minds. Johnny Steele gave me this brilliant book uh, this week, and it does a far better job than I can on the, um, the art of singing. Uh, but in it, he talks about, uh, John Bell talks about the owner community uh, in Scotland, where they, um, they, they talk to people and they said, what are your uh, most vivid memories of a church experience? And they do this regularly with groups that come to the centers, and only one in a hundred ever mentioned a sermon. And those that normally did were the the preachers who visited. See, people usually mention a song or a silence or a symbolic action or a service in an unusual place. Bell says this, For when the most memorable line of the most rhetorically astute sermon has been forgotten, people will still remember the words of abide with me, love divine, or majesty. So my first C for you to remember today of why we are a people that sing is that it confirms, singing confirms what we believe. Gordon Fee, the theologian, said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. So the next stage of my singing journey was at primary school. I went to a little village primary school in a village in Lancashire called Water. Literally, Water County Primary School was my school. Not very much to shout about, not much going on, small, insignificant, no uh, real prowess in sport or academia. But we had a music teacher that loved to sing, and she wanted us to love to sing. So she started a choir, and we'd learn songs, and, uh, and then we got asked to go and sing in care homes and at community events. And gradually this increased to the point where someone somewhere decided to uh, enter us into a competition At the time, McDonald's, there it is again, no sponsorship uh, for this sermon, uh, uh, promoted and and sponsored uh, an event for kids called the Child of Achievement Awards. Um, And this was uh, all about recognizing kids who'd done amazing things. For some reason, someone decided to run a choir of achievement competition alongside this. And it was for choirs who did amazing things, which uh, I suppose we did in the community, and that was why we got nominated. And so for um, about a year of my life, we traveled around different parts of the UK, going to these tournaments, heats, and different finals in regions and so on. And everywhere we went, we got McDonald's, which we loved. Um, But everywhere we went, we gradually kept on getting better, and we kept on winning to the point where we ended up at the the national finals um, and up against these amazing choirs with uh, brilliant uniforms and incredible um, uh, instrumentation. And we just had Mrs. Coffee on the piano, We had our black school trousers, our white school shirts, and little elasticated red and black dicky bows that were always twisted and out of place. Uh, But we used to stand there and smile and sing, and and we had one song, The Sunny Side of the Street, where we danced around the stage. And somehow, for some reason, when the awards came out, we got platinum. We thought that was the booby prize. We'd never heard of platinum coming from (laughs) Lancashire before. When gold went, we thought we'd missed out our chances. But it was an incredible moment, an incredible thing. And the thing that strikes me about singing in a choir, about that experience, that it didn't matter how good we were individually, 
It didn't matter that we looked a bit of a mess because together we made an impact. And if you've ever been in a choir, you'll know that, that, that feeling of being a small part of a, of a whole, that your one voice is connected to those around you to create one sound. We all dressed the same, we moved together, and we all sang together. We had to be united. And it's the same in church, isn't it? Singing unites us, binds us together. If we all tried to speak at the same time, even the same words, it wouldn't sound great. But give it a beat and a melody, and suddenly we might sound okay. This is why songs have always created unity and identity. Football fans again, national anthems, revolutionary songs, Gaelic music, jazz, reggae, punk. That is what we've missed out on so much in the last two years, haven't we? With lockdown, as Paul said, where our unity in song was removed. And it's something we need to cherish now that we have it back. And the beautiful thing that as we sing together, we're also singing to each other. In Ephesians 5, Paul instructs his readers to speak to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We tend to think our focus is always just vertical, and it is massively important that it is vertical, but there's something horizontal going on as well as we sing. Christian writer uh, Jenny Pollock, in a blog post that Mark Ballantyne passed on to me this week, quotes a friend of hers from lockdown who says, There are lots of things I miss about in-person church, but recently I've been feeling the loss of holding and being held by others' faith. In liturgy, in song, in prayer, the we believe of the creed, even when you're not sure whether you believe it right now. The inkling that by singing, great is thy faithfulness, that little bit louder, you're actually holding up the faith of the friend standing next to you who can't quite remember what God's faithfulness feels like anymore. And somehow praying with them that soon new mercies they'll see. This communal confession, absolution of sin, knowing we're all sinners together, but that God's mercy is bigger than we dared imagine. I miss those moments that form our hearts and secure our faith and remind us that we're not taking this strange old road alone. For me, it's one of the most precious gifts to stand here on the stage and see you all singing back at me because it reminds me that I need to keep going. I can't do it on my own. When we sing in each other's presence, we minister to each other. That's what Paul means in Colossians 3.16. And he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. It's not just the responsibility of the person at the front to teach and admonish the, 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 the gathering of believers. We do it together as we sing. And he says, through wisdom, with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. It's why we should always aim to have more we songs in our gatherings. That's in the collective sense, not the Northern Ireland sense. <laughs> Small songs probably won't do too much, but we songs, collective songs. So many of the psalms, aren't they, are about corporate, whole church uh, uh, expressions. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. 
the, um, the word liturgy is an interesting one. I don't know what that makes you think of. Maybe it makes you think of, uh, of boring kind of rote practices that, that are just delivered without real thought or meaning. Actually, liturgy isn't just ref- restrained to kind of spoken words that everyone says at the same time. It's actually far bigger than that. But its origins come from two Greek words, which together mean the work of the people. And it was used to emphasize that for liturgy to happen, it can't just be something done by the priestly few. It has to be the work of the people. And liturgy is actually about something we just do repetitively, something we do over and over again. That's, that's what we do when we sing, and it's the work of the people. We're all involved. We're all included. We're all expected to participate. So whatever your feelings about singing, hear this, that we need you to sing. And I'm not just saying that because I, 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 I lead the singing. It's not about making a bigger noise. It's not about a concert where they say, let me hear you. It's about us singing together and singing to each other. And that brings me on to the third C. So we, are, we confirm what we believe. We are connected together. And thirdly, we're expected to participate because it's a command. We're commanded to sing. Psalm 33, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Psalm 66, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. And as well as those verses in Ephesians and Colossians from Paul we've looked at, the phrase sing a new song appears more than once. Psalm 33, Psalm 40, Psalm 96, Psalm 98, 144 and 149. Now, much of what I've said up to this point could easily be applied to secular singing. Music connects us. Uh, Music confirms what we believe, gives us identity, all that kind of stuff. But this point is different. Because the fact that God commands and desires and expects us to sing to him, in some ways, just requires no further discussion. We could stop there. But the fact that he also says, sing a new song, is interesting. Now, this doesn't mean this is the start of an argument against old hymns. You'll never find me making that argument. Anyway, all old songs were new songs once, right? But what I think this speaks into is that God is after more from us. He's after our hearts, something deeper within, not the same old stuff done out of repetition or routine. To make this point, John Bell in this great book refers to the prophet Amos and his words from the Lord to the praise band of the day. In Amos 5, he says, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness righteousness like a never-failing stream. It seems here that the people had got stuck in a rut, and that their songs had stopped them from engaging in other things like justice. See, when singing becomes too much of a habit, something too familiar, it can lead us to missing the point. The Iona community again finished their morning prayers every weekday with the following lines. This is the day that God has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We will not offer to God offerings that cost us nothing. And you can think back to Samuel and, and David where that originates. We will not offer to God offerings that cost us nothing. 
At the start of each new day, these worshippers are determined to not offer God something worthless. Our worship or our worthship is about giving him what he is worth. What is he worth to you? It should cost us. Our songs should cost us. It might mean doing something new, singing a new song from your heart, singing a song you don't like. It might mean being more present, more open during a time of song worship. It might mean singing a little louder. And here lies our biggest challenge today. We are bombarded with worship songs. Even that phrase alone, worship songs, is unhelpful. Where people think that worship is the few songs at the beginning or the bit where the band plays. Worship is our devotion to God in all of our lives, not just the bit before the preach. We live in a time where there are thousands of new songs written every year. We cannot and we must not attempt to keep up with them all. And all of this happens within a culture that markets worship to make money, where blogs and magazines and podcasts and conferences focus solely on music as the only aspect of worship that matters, where albums and ticket sales take precedence over encouraging prayer or discipleship. This week, a series of concerts were announced for which VIP tickets were available. These tickets provided opportunities to meet the artists and have a selfie. Special access to pre-show merchandise shopping and an exclusive gift item, among other perks. I'm so thankful for the people who write our songs that we sing here. They share their songs with the world for us to benefit from them. And they should receive recognition and reimbursement for their work. That's why we pay a license fee to, to the Christian copyright license, so that they can be reimbursed. But when worshipping God is made into an industry, we've missed the mark. We're called to sing to the praise of God alone, not to celebrate or promote any songwriter or megachurch. Song worship is not a performance or stage show to be enjoyed or experienced. Praising God is not what we get out of it and how it makes us feel. It's for his glory. John Wesley said this in his Rules for Methodist Singers. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to this, attend strictly to the sense of of what you sing, and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. I can't quite remember when he wrote that, but he could be writing that for me today. And the fourth and final C, we sing because we can. Or to put it another way, with a grammatically poor double negative, sorry Willie, we sing because we can't not sing. Our song worship should be easy, should be natural because it comes from a place of response to what God has done in our lives. In Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman in John 4, he says a time or even an hour is coming when worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. And this is what God the Father seeks. The hour that Jesus is referring to is his death and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. This act changed everything. He died to make us worshippers. Vaughan Roberts says this, By nature, I worship myself. 
Jesus Christ took on himself the punishment for my self-worship and self-glorification. He made it possible for me to come back into friendship with God and now I am free to become a worshiper again. A.W. Tozer puts it another way, the purpose of God in sending his son to die and rise and live and be at the right hand of God the Father was that he might restore to us the missing jewel, the jewel of worship, that we might come back and learn to do again that which we were created to do in the first place. We sing because we can, we're compelled to and created to, and we shouldn't be able to stop singing. Around the world, millions of Christians are told to stop singing or made to do it secretly or quietly because of the danger involved. They sing in prison cells, outside courtrooms, in forests and on labor camp toilets. They know they can't not sing, even when everything is telling them to stop. May we learn to never stop singing. Not just because we like the songs or have discovered a new favorite album, but because we're so in love with Jesus, so in awe of what he's done and who he is, and because we're filled with his spirit. We are a people who sing because singing confirms what we believe. Singing connects us. Singing is commanded by the God who created us, and we sing because we just can't stop. Let's pray. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Let's sing.
gives us the strength to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Thank you, Lord, for making us whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this rich salvation, perfect and free.